he urged. The icy, darkened hall made him think of a crypt. Only a faint light came from the adjacent parlour, which was the one lit room Clouston had seen from the road. The door was ajar. We're keeping them there, George said in a whisper, as if he were afraid of waking them up. Clouston gulped as Betsy slowly pushed the squeaking door and led him in. He saw that just one log burned pathetically in the broad fireplace, casting trembling shadows all around, and then his heart skipped a beat. Right in front of the fire, silhouetted against the weak glow, there were two wooden coffins. Oh, my lord, Clouston let out. He drew closer with faltering feet, a chilling fear expanding in his chest. Only when he peered over the open coffins did he believe what George had told him. The sight was so appalling that Clouston instinctively covered his mouth, repressing a sudden wretch. For a moment his mind went blank, trying desperately to take in what he was seeing. So, when did... did it happen? he finally uttered. It was hard to speak with that painful lump in his throat. Last night, George said, his voice almost a moan. The undertaker got him ready two, three hours ago. Clouston nodded and took a deep breath. That always helped him. Was it you who sent for the undertaker? Nay, the boy Adolphus did, George replied, swiftly wiping the tears he could not repress any more. Oh, a poor laddie. Don't know where he got the strength from. He called the undertaker, sorted out all the papers. He even bandaged himself after. Then George shuddered visibly and said no more. He's resting now, Betsy added, if you can call it rest. I need to see him, Clouston said promptly, and George and Betsy led him to a nearby studio, the one that had belonged to the now deceased father, James McGray. Slowly, George opened the door, trying not to disturb his young master, and Betsy walked in, bringing the candle. She'd just stuck it in a filthy saucer. Clouston snatched the light from her and walked ahead with careful steps. His heart sank even deeper as soon as he saw the miserable young man resting on a ragged couch. The tall, brawny son of the McGrays lay there looking as though he was also dead. His cheeks were ghastly pale, and the rings around his eyes were almost as red as a wound. Young Adolphus inhaled in deep, painful breaths, and his pupils stirred madly under his eyelids. Occasionally his chin and hands would jump in small spasms. Clouston had seen that sort of troubled slumber in more patience than he could remember, but he had not even dreamt he'd ever seem a grey son, otherwise handsome and cheerful thus broken. I don't think he'll manage to sleep well ever again, Clouston whispered. I do hope I'm wrong. Adolphus's hand had another spasm, and then Clouston saw the bulky bandaging around it. He drew the candle nearer to find that the material was damp and stained, a dark spot of half-dried blood spreading on one end. It looked as though Adolphus had helped to carry the coffins himself. 
You need to change his bandaging, Cluston snapped. Oh, I'd rather not, sir, Bessie said quickly. The poor laddie's not slept since it all happened. Only when the boxes arrived, he dropped here. Good woman, he needs clean bandages. The last thing your chap wants now is an infected hand. Betsy curtsied clumsily and left the room, groping about to find her way in the darkness. Clouston turned to George and asked the question whose answer he dreaded the most. Where is the girl? The butler's face lost what little colour it had left. We... we had to lock her up, Doctor. She's gone completely berserk. Clouston patted the man's shoulder. Do not feel guilty. You did what you had to do. But, sir... George began weeping miserably, this time quivering from head to toe. The wrinkles in his face looked sore from frowning.